0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and we are here counting down the coach rankings, baby. We gave you 65 through 26, the rankings, our thoughts in the previous episode. And uh, while I don't think you have to listen to these side by side, you know, there's no continuity issues that I know of. Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, how are we doing?
2: Good on my end. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, all. A, that's, that's
0: like a perfect... Say. Yeah, 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 because you're not the one who had your author name bef- right there next to the coach <laughs> rankings,
2: right? Are you, uh, Tom, have, have, the, have the hate radio interviews started? Oh,
1: God, yeah. I've already, since what, this, the p- post published, I'd say about an hour and a half before we started recording. I have been booked for five separate radio hits already later this week because of it. And I'm sure I'll be getting yelled at because of it. Uh, so that's fun. I, I muted the tweet on Twitter, so I haven't had to really deal with any feedback without looking for it. So that that's been fine so far. But yeah, it's between that and the fact that it is now raining here for the sixth straight day. It's just, you know, everything's wonderful <laughs> and not like a light drizzle. I mean, it has been raining here for like six straight days and it's it's getting a bit tiresome.
0: What's it A quarter of the yearly average in the last weekend?
1: That was from Thursday to Sunday. We've we've tacked on a bit more since then. Not quite as heavy as those four days, but it's not like it's just been misting and drizzling. When it has rained, it's been pretty heavy. And then, like a week ago, we had like three inches in one day. So you know, it's wet and dirty.
0: Well,
2: that's yeah. Bad. That's that, that's bad for the psyche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I, we can't really up. go outside
1: yeah. and do anything anyway. But it's just. I have to walk the dog every day and it's it's like when you're when you're having to walk the dog in the rain and then you have to get home and my dog is a Bernese mountain dog so she has a lot of hair which means that I have to dry her off when we get home and that is not the easiest process in the world. so it's just yeah anyways, let's talk about some coaches
0: picking up at number twenty five with Iowa State's Matt Campbell. we got Mario Cristobal from Oregon checking in at twenty four Bronco Mendenhall at twenty three. Mark Stoops at 22, and Pat Fitzgerald at number 21. I will um, – I'll go ahead and start this. I'm way, way out in front over Bronco. I ranked him higher than I ever have in these rankings. I had Bronco at number 10.
1: Wow. Yeah. I, I had Bronco at number 14, so you are not as far ahead as maybe you thought.
2: I had Bronco at 31.
1: Yeah, there's the hater. There he comes. No, but somebody had to be even lower than you because if Chip's got him at 10 and I've got him at 14 and you've got him at 31, that doesn't balance it out to 23, I don't think, among seven voters.
0: So I'm giving Bronco a lot of BYU points and some of it was going back and... Uh, rereading and thinking about some of the scandal that was going on around that program at the time that he took over. And then you go and you look at the way those teams performed. I mean, consistently playing at like a top 25 level for a little bit, one of the best teams in the Mountain West Conference. And then as BYU in the shifting land of conference realignment, he sort of looked around took a lot of the key members of his staff. They show up at UVA by his own admission, only has what, like 24, 25 players that he considered ACC caliber. And he goes and, and you can sort of see the building year to year of that program. I, I give him points for the consistency at BYU, the program building at UVA. And uh, I think that these rankings, as we said in the last episode, reveal a lot about your personal flair, like your personal preferences and tastes for what you like out of a football team, out of a football program and i uh i'm i i found myself moving bronco into different discussions in this ranking than i ever had before
1: uh i would say of the people that i am the wildliest different on the person i am most different on overall in these rankings compared to where they finished is in this five some do either of you want to take a guess as to who it is
0: mario cristobal
1: correct i had him at 46th
2: Yikes.
1: Which, admittedly, upon reflection, probably a little too low. But I also look at the guys I had, you know, just slightly in front of them. And, I mean, I had, let's see, ahead of him I had Clay Helton. Okay, maybe. Chris Kleeman. I can't overlook what he did at North Dakota State and how he did in that first year at Kansas State. Dave Doran, who's had a couple nine-win seasons mm. at NC State. Dino had a ten-win season at Syracuse. Herm, Tom Allen, Scott Frost, Narduzzi, Kiffin, Satterfield. I think when you look at the guys in that range of where I could put crystal Ball I think it's defensible, and I I understand that there's a high ceiling for what he's going to be able to do at Oregon with the way he has recruited, and I think that is something that you look at as for reason to rank him higher, which clearly plenty of us did compared to where he finished. But I just his his time at FIU wasn't good, and he's had you know he had a nine four season at Oregon, and last year you know he won the Pac twelve, so that's clearly that's a very good season. But he also lost a couple of the bigger games when he could have you know really put that team to another level. And I feel like some of those losses or at least part of a large portion of those losses can be placed on maybe the, uh, the conservatism. Yeah. you,
0: yeah, you, You just think that you have witnessed coaching malpractice too many times. Yeah, yeah, and it's not, and again, it's it has not. He don't might, tell me you now. Nah, don't tell me you love Dave Doran. Don't tell me that Dave Doran's two nine-win seasons are what really drive Mario Cristobal being at forty-six. Some of it is is a knock-on from your own professional observation, I suspect.
1: I do like Dave Doran, though, Chip. We've had discussions on here about how I think NC State fans are a little too. Uh, unrealistic about h- what Doran has done and what they think they can get that would be better than what he's been able to do with that Wolfpack team I am a Doran fan
2: so you and I Tom are on the opposite ends you the probably spectrum. got him at four <laughs> I have Mario Cristobal you have where 47 you said <laughs> I have a 46 Forty-six. I have him at twelve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, and the recruiting played a huge role in that, did it not? No question. Yeah, it did. But 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 also, I do take issue with one of your bullet points on on your, you know, why you don't have um, Mario Cristobal ranked high, is that he didn't he, he didn't have a great tenure at FIU. I would contest that. Because he took over a program that was like I don't know seven years old or something. The previous year before he got there was they were over, hadn't won a game all year long. The first year he got there, they were one and eleven. Year four, they were seven and six. Won the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl. <laughs> Two thousand eleven, they were eight and five. And then the what Beefo, happened? Lost the befo Brady's Bowl, and then they had a three and nine season, and he uh-huh. and he got and he got canned. But that was a highly controversial firing, and most people felt like he got a really raw deal in that one. And so, I think when you look at his tenure at Oregon, and if I and if I consider that the FIU tenure was actually a, a successful tenure, which I do, like I think it was a successful tenure, like that that was FIU wasn't successful really since until until Bush Davis and so I think the the, you know he takes over Oregon immediately he he rebuilds the culture immediately he starts recruiting at a really high level he's made some uh, I mean I guess I guess the hires haven't all been like home runs but I I do think that he has built a culture there that is throwing the Pac-12 for a loop and he's bringing a recruiting side of it that that you don't see out west. And I, I just think he's, and and I admit, like when I look at it, twelve, eh, maybe that's a little high. But I think he's, I think he's done some really good stuff. And yes, you, you probably got to dock him a little bit for just in game coaching, but I'm less worried about that. I'm more about like, you know, overtime confidence that they're going to get wins. I, I seem to think that Oregon is in pretty stable hands.
1: Yeah, I like where they're going. And again, if if he maintains it, he's going to jump in my rankings huge. But that's the thing; like he was able to build it at FIU, but he was doing it in the Sun Belt, and they peaked at eight wins, and then the floor fell out from underneath them. So while it was a controversial in some areas to to fire him at that point, I also don't think it was that insane either. But it's just, I don't know, man. It's I think he's got a lot more advantages now that he can take advantage for than he did at FIU. So when we're comparing the two jobs, he's in a much better position for success now than he was then.
0: Is Matt Campbell perfectly ranked at number 25?
2: I had him at 30. I'm I had him at 32. To, like I, I'm I'm not that I'm suddenly a doubter of Matt Campbell, but like I'm tired. Like we, this last year was supposed to be the, yeah, th- last year. I think Matt Campbell is a really good coach. But last year was supposed to be a year where I think based on the roster, they should have taken – look, I, I mean, I'm mad at him. I'm mad at him right now because I predicted 10-2 and two Iowa State, didn't I? was that one of my big yeah. ones? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he let me down. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to reward him, get in the top 25, got to run some sprints, Coach Campbell. We got to get you <laughs> – help me out here, man. I'm out here predicting 10-win seasons and you go in eight. So he needs – Like I want to see him take a step forward. I want to see him, and I, maybe it happens this year, but if you're just like 8-5 and five indefinitely, even though it's at Iowa State, which isn't like the easiest place to win at, I still think that that's not a top 25 coach.
1: And for what it's worth, advanced metrics liked Iowa State a lot more than its win-loss record did last year.
0: So you're saying that they're uh, even though they have to replace the entire offensive line, they're set for a fumble luck bounce the other way?
1: I'm not saying that but I'm saying that just basing just judging Iowa State on 8 and 5 last year not saying that but I'm saying if you were to do that you'd be wrong because if you look at some of the underlying numbers they were better than that record suggests but that doesn't mean they're going to be better in 2020 because like you said they have to replace their entire offensive line and Iowa State's not really the kind of program yet I don't think Campbell has it to a place where I could just sit there and look at that and say yeah they could just reload there I don't I don't think that's a likely possibility.
0: Pat Fitzgerald's always gotten um, some head nods for the work he's done at Northwestern. I feel like from this podcast and from our coach rankings, uh, Mark Stoops, I think's definitely trajectory up. Um, but I didn't
1: 17 spots up. As a matter of fact,
0: one of the biggest movers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: In that group. All right. Uh, Mark
2: Stoops is Mark Stoops's trajectory on my list was two years ago, 45th last year, 36 this year, 15. i pa- Program actually, building
0: love program building
2: like the thing with Mark Stoops. And this is a thing that I'm, I really give a lot of um, credit for and, and, and weight towards is what I love about Mark Stoops is that he, he, he's, he's playing at a disadvantage because Kentucky doesn't have the football tradition as that his competitors do. Kentucky doesn't have the talent base that his competitors do. Um, so he finds a way to build a roster that he can win with. And within that roster, he finds ways to win. Like, I thought this year was a remarkable testament to Mark Stoops in that they just found, they, they, they figured out what they had. Quarterbacks got hurt, put Lynn Bowden, Bowden at quarterback, and let's find ways to win. And it doesn't matter what your stats are. Like, just the, the point of the game is to win. And I think Mark Stoops, whether it's defensively, Uh, whether it's offensively, like they just, they are really good at finding ways of being really competitive. And in the same way that I'm not going to, you know, if if I hold him to a different standard than I would hold him to if he was coaching Florida state and with it, within that framework, like I think that he's done a pretty impressive job at Kentucky and he's, he's finally kind of won me over. I took me a while to warm up to him, but The last couple of years, I think it's hard to argue with. And I think they'll be pretty good this year.
1: Yeah, I don't think you can overstate how good of a job Stoops did at Kentucky in 2019. And that's part of the reason why you mentioned Florida State. That's why he was the person at the top of my board for who I thought Florida State should go get. Not that they made a bad decision with Norvell because that was number two on my board. But
0: I think Stoops would have been great for them. Number twenty is Mac Brown, North Carolina. Nineteen, David Shaw. Eighteen, Gus Malzahn. Seventeen, Paul Christ. and number sixteen, our favorite Gary Patterson from TCU. What stands out about that five?
2: So I took some when I released my top twenty-five rankings, I for twenty-four-seven a couple weeks ago. I took some heat from North Carolina folks for not having Mac Brown in my top 25. And I actually, I actually agree with some of the criticism. You know, I think probably like anywhere in the 20 to 30 range, I think is defensible for Mac. And so I actually have him at 25 right now on the one I turned into CBS, I think. And, and he could go up, he could go up further. Um, but this is like Mac Brown is still his, his national championship still came so long ago in such sort of a different era that I still think he's almost in a, in a lot of ways like a first-year coach uh, or he was like a first-year coach last year. So like he was 46 before the season last year. He's up to 25 now. So he's heading in the right direction. He's doing things that I think give you confidence that as a 75-year-old man, however old he is, I don't know how old he is. Maybe he's 65.
1: He but is 68.
2: 68-year-old. 68 He's in in, as crazy as is like to say it at 68 year old, he with a he's like with the arrow pointed up. Like, I think he's heading up, but I want to see I want to see him continue that in in year two at North Carolina.
1: Yeah, I I had Mac at 28 on my ballot. And I mean, I don't think I, I think you if you look at Mac's career as a whole, considering what he did at Texas and. What Texas has been able to do since getting rid of him, that kind of enhances everything he'd already accomplished there for that. And but my ranking wasn't just based on what he's accomplished, not just with his national title and all that stuff, because while I didn't weigh it as heavily, when it comes to the idea of looking at these coaches as guys you'd want to hire, like you just said, Barton, I mean he's 68. He doesn't change the fact that he's a great coach, but there are other coaches that are kind of a tiebreaker for me in that area that I've ranked ahead of him simply because if I'm hiring these guys if I want somebody to just stable, if I'm running a program that I think needs to be stabilized for a few years and put into a good position before leaving it to somebody else, then I think Mac Brown is an amazing choice for doing that. But if I'm looking for a guy I could have build and be there for a decade, I don't think Mac Brown's going to be at North Carolina for a decade. I just think that would be, you know, a a coach coaching until he's 78 is very much not a regular occurrence. So I think that dinged him a little bit in my final rankings.
0: I had him at 11. Well of
1: course you did. You bleed yeah. Carolina blue. You've got an Argyle pattern tattooed across your back.
0: I I think that uh I think he's a good football coach. And I'm gonna bring not necessarily the like I there's something to be said for the longevity. Like I don't necessarily just point to the national championship, but just you know, Texas's just run. Uh, of having just consistently about a top 10-ish kind of team uh, he had North Carolina in the top 10 before he left for Texas I I think he's a I think he has a pretty good idea of what it takes to run a program be a good football coach and um, I I think he's uh, he he deserves to be able to get credit for all that. In addition to some of the instant impact, exceeding expectations, improving things with infrastructure, and certainly on the recruiting trail. So yeah, I mean, like way too high,
2: absolutely oh, no. too high. No, I mean, I don't think it's no, no, too no. high. I think I'm, it's justifiable. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's I think it's defensible. I'm curious because Tom, you you're looking at it in a, looking at him in a similar way that I'm looking at him. So I'm curious. Like what range do you think you, if, if North Carolina has a breakthrough year this year and goes 10 and two, where would you put them next year? Let's call it 10 and three. They lose the bowl game.
1: Depending on who's fired, who retires, who does what
2: probably yeah, like what range like, sounds right.
1: Somewhere in that 15 to 20 range.
2: So you're still not, cause like I, I think that kind of jump could, could compel me to put them as like a top 10 type of guy because Look, you're right, Chip. There there is a really impressive resume there. And but it's just the idea of him coming coming back and and just seeing like leaving our eyes for a little bit and making sure that he's still got that that, that swagger. And if they have that kind of a leap in, in year two, like that to me is is like really strong evidence that he's he's the real deal.
0: I mean they're they are one of the teams that's expected to win the acc coastal division they got one of the best quarterbacks in the acc a player who he went out and got they're set to have uh one of the best recruiting classes he seems to understand he seems like i'm 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 done after this i promise but i will buy the narrative that i think he's gotten better from his time off and, you know, whether that's just taking time away or whether, and I think it's more the second thing, just talking to every single coach and having every single coach bring you inside their program and getting to see everything. I think he's become uh, a better coach from that. That is like one of those narratives that they spun before he started. And I rolled my eyes at it, but just sort of seeing the way he handles business. It's like, he's taking a little bit of the best of uh, a bunch of different programs. And he's put all those ideas together in Chapel Hill, trying to, you know, set that program up for the future. And, uh, I think that's worth, that's worth him at least being considered. So this is the group that I had him in.
1: You know, I think we also have to mention that you know, Lynn and I have recently started rewatching Friday night lights and we have to consider his excellent acting performance in the pilot episode. of you the TV to- show.
0: I've got him with Kirk Ferentz. I've got him with Greg Schiano. Like I've, I've got him with other lifers That you're like, you know what, just good football coach. That kind of conversation.
1: Well, before before we move on to the next group, though, let's let's talk about the two bigger fallers in this fivesome because David Shaw. We we had two top ten coaches last year fall out of the top ten this year in this group. David Shaw fell ten spots from nine to nineteen, and our boy Gary Patterson fell eight spots from eight to sixteen. Where did you guys have them?
2: So David Shaw is is playing this year to stay in the top twenty five for me. He went from he went from 10 to 14 to 20. He was 20 for me this year. Uh, Gary Patterson went from 13 to 15 to 23. He was 23 for me this year. Um, I, I think, like, I'm, I am, I'm like, at this point, I need to, like, I said, I'm tired of these low ceiling guys. Like, if you go muddle around, like, I, I had Gary Patterson ranked high in the past based on the idea like we're not that far removed from him being knocking on the, the door of the playoffs, but it's just hard to envision TCU knocking on the door of the playoffs these days. And so, at some point, these guys, these these David Cutlasses of the world, need to give me some upside. Yeah. And you know, and so I'm that's sort of where I'm at with a few of these guys. And David Shaw, like it just things just seem to be trending in the wrong direction for him. The the big one, so the big one to me. <clears throat> And I think it's the fit. Like, I get it. He's 18. Gus Malzahn, but because I had him 24 and 26 prior to this year, but this year I had him 13. Me too. And, it, and the reason I have him 13, and and like I almost think there, you you almost like objectively have to have him higher than Jim Harbaugh to me. Yes. Oh <laughs>
0: that was, wow.
1: That is an exact thing I had when I was putting together. My-
2: <laughs> like of all the coaches out there, all, all the coaches, all the coach comparisons in the world. Like, just those two alone in a vacuum, like, you have to have Gus Malzahn higher than Jim Harbaugh. Wow. I, I, Chip, Chip, did you pass the test? No, no, not at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. So um, we already know
1: how Chip feels about the putt-putt
2: offense. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I, I think that Auburn right now is set up in a way, not that anybody could win there. It takes a lot of work, but I, I do think that, I think Auburn's in a good spot. I think Auburn's in a healthy spot. I don't think you need to be a master of your craft to be able to win at Auburn right now. I had Gus Malzahn. So, like, you were talking about the low-ceiling coaches. I do have that. I've got, like, Pat Fitzgerald, 25, David Cutcliffe, 26. Uh, I've got David Shaw around there, too. And I've got Gus Malzahn, right? Yeah, David Shaw, 26, David Cutcliffe, 27, Pat Fitzgerald, 25, and I've got Gus Malzahn, 29. Right behind. But, Gus
2: is, but, he, but but would you qualify him as a low-ceiling coach?
0: No, that's what I'm saying. The low-ceiling yeah. coaches that I think are more masters, like they're teaching master class the, at the low-ceiling theater over there. Gus Malzahn's not a lesson <laughs> that I'm signing up for. <laughs> He's a high-ceiling coach who I've got ranked right behind low-ceiling coaches that I think are a little bit better.
2: But do you understand Tom and I's uh, belief that Malzahn has to be above Harbaugh?
0: I I would like you to explain it because I think it's really funny and really good. I didn't pass the test, though.
2: Tom, would
1: you like to take it? I mean, Gus has won a conference title, first of all. He's also won a division title, which are just two things that Harbaugh hasn't done. And while he hasn't had, like, the 10-win seasons that Harbaugh, you know, has been having at Michigan, I do think he's won bigger games. And he's also, you know, playing in the SEC West. And I feel like there are no, you know until last year at indiana maryland rutgers there aren't those teams in the sec west for him to kind of inflate the record a little bit and i just feel like the kind of success he's had it's volatile because you know you go from 12 wins to eight wins seven wins eight wins ten eight nine i think you have to give him a lot of credit for what he's been able to do at auburn and i think that when we i think maybe the fact that you know certainly the fact that he was the offensive coordinator when they won a national title plays something of a factor there too but I also think that maybe Auburn winning that national title might have raised our expectations for what Auburn should be doing on an annual basis, and maybe we compare Malzahn to that unfairly a little bit sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, if when Jim Harbaugh beats Ohio State, I will gladly consider him going above mm-hmm. Malzahn. But and the Gus has beaten is, Nick plenty of times. Yeah, like the like Gus Malzahn every single year in the Iron Bowl that they are a threat to beat Alabama. And yeah. every year Alabama is a national title favorite and every single year they got to sweat to get by Auburn. And that to me that's like a really strong case for Gus Malzahn and uh, I mean again like it's, it's and and it kind of I would imagine like if I don't think Jim Harbaugh listens to the Cover 3 podcast, but if he was listening to this, I would imagine he would be so frustrated that everything has to come down back to Ohio State, because he really has had. A, and Tom's outlined it a lot, but he's he's had a really strong career and tenure at Michigan. But you know, you hey, congratulations! But it's still that that last game is still pretty dang important. Yeah, that's the burden that you got to carry.
0: All right, we'll get to we'll, we'll. All right, Gary Patterson falling. Are we are we comfortable with that? Yeah. I mean, I think that
1: I'm with Barton. It's a few years ago when they were a team that you thought of as a playoff contender, it was impossible not to because of the success he'd had at TCU before it even joined the big 12. And the fact that after the speed bump of, you know, a slow start, once it joined the big 12, the fact that he was able to build them up to that level, of course you have to get, you had to consider Patterson to be like a top 10 coach through those years. But the last few years, Trending the wrong direction. If they turned it around this year and they have another, you know, 10 win season, then he's going to jump right back into the top 10. But right now, I think his ranking matches what TCU is doing on the field.
0: Right. It, uh, it, this, I guess this is also where we need to have some perspective and realize that we're talking about the top 15 coaches at the power five level in all of college football. Like just being in this discussion, again, a very good thing. Number 15, PJ Fleck. 14, Kirk Ferentz, 13, Mike Gundy, 12, Jim Harbaugh, 11, Kyle Whittingham. Okay, so I did approach my Harbaugh ranking. I'll just say this and I'll step out of the way. I approached my Harbaugh ranking like a Michigan trustee. I was like, that man runs a good program, good extracurricular, good PE coach. I think he does a good job at what we expect him to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, Harbaugh's, I mean, Harbaugh's a good coach. I the Harbaugh was another one I got some heat for when I released my personal rankings because I, I have them. I had him 18th and I like, I'll acknowledge I might be being a little bit hard on him because there's a lot of people that are going to have a hard time beating Ohio state. And there's probably some guys that, ahead of them that might have a hard time beating Ohio state. Um, but I do think that the, the thing that, that, my, I got the most criticism for, which. Look, Paul Crist was my l- number eleven guy, and I think that I think I might have gone too high with Paul. Christ. <laughs> I've gone because he was fourteen for me two years ago. Mm-hmm. He was twenty-seven last year, and he was eleven this year. I might be giving him a little too much credit for the season this past year. It, him and Jim Harbaugh probably need to be closer together. But my, my argument for Paul Chris being higher is if you switch places, Jim Harbaugh is probably having the same level of success as Paul Chris. I think, though I don't know, but I think they he probably is. I don't think he elevates them more than where Paul Chris has Wisconsin. I think if Paul Chris were at Michigan, I would have a little – I would have – I think they'd be – a in a little bit better place. Is that, is that, (laughs) I'm I'm saying, as I'm saying it, I'm sort of like, like like testing how it feels coming out of my mouth.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know if I can agree with that. I had, I had Harbaugh at 17. I had Chris at 19. So I would,
0: I would say that Pitt and Stanford are the way that you compare it. And that I would edge Harbaugh if you were comparing them that way.
2: Harbaugh, like the, yes. Like the, the Stanford stuff for Harbaugh is, a huge selling point. I agree with that. Um, and so, if you if you go back to Stanford and and like if you compare them side by side, yeah, I think you give Harbaugh a check. But I think like my my issue with with like my, my regret and having Chris as high as I did is the idea that he is a little bit like probably a lot of these coaches I just mentioned, low ceiling coach. And I don't really like having a low ceiling coach as high as I put him. So, but I still but I do. Th- Genuinely think that, you know, if, if Paul Chris were coaching at Michigan, I'd have more. I would have more confidence that Wisconsin would have gotten one of those against Ohio State and I or at had least Harb- been more competitive.
1: I had Harbot 17. But I mean, if you look at the guys I have in front of him, I think it's all, you know, I mean, I had Gundy at 16. I think that's very defensible. I think Ryan Day at 15 is very defensible. I got Bronco. I know, Chip, you agree with that. I had Bronco at 14. Gus at 13. Fitz at 12, Whittingham at 11, and Ferrance at 10, Kirby. At, I mean, who are these guys, can you say, definitely don't be, deserve to be ranked ahead of Harbaugh?
2: Well, I think Bronco, but you could make the same case for me for Chris. Like, I think mm-hmm. Bronco is kind of the same type of coach. Like, I think low ceiling, but high floor.
1: But Broncos won a division title, and he did so at Virginia.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I mean, no, I, I think the other another thing we we too is we want to start with is uh, the coach in this group of five who climbed higher in the rankings than all but one other coach in our rankings this year. PJ Fleck. Mm. I thought I was 20... going to be.
2: I, I was right on it. On, I had some sixteen. I thought I was going to be like on an island there. Sounds like a lot of people had him high.
1: Yeah, he climbed twenty nine spots from forty four to fifteen. I had him twenty third because you know. I hate Minnesota. So if you had him at sixteen, finale. somebody had to have him like the top tenish.
0: I had him at nineteen.
1: Wow, was, somebody is rowing the boat pretty hard out there?
0: <laughs> I I'll, I had him ahead of Ryan Day.
1: Whoa, really?
0: Yeah, I I I think Ryan Day. I put I put Ryan Day, and we're about to get to him in a little bit. You'll find out where. Uh, I. I put Ryan Day probably at 21, thinking that that's the lowest that he'll be.
1: Yeah, yeah I had him at 15. I mean, I, I I don't think it's undefensible simply because Fleck built up Western Michigan to where it was in a New Year's Six Bowl before leaving to Minnesota. Then last year, he wins 11 games at Minnesota, beats Auburn in a bowl game, whereas Ryan Day made the playoff last year, but he's also only been a head coach for one year. So I think based off that, it's perfectly defensible to say, hey, listen, maybe Ryan Day's got a higher ceiling for what he can do at Ohio State than Fleck does at Minnesota, but to this point, Fleck has accomplished more as a head coach. Right. That's perfectly fine.
0: Any other uh, any other notes from Whittingham, Harbaugh, Gundy, Ferentz, and Fleck?
2: Yeah, uh, so Whittingham, I was going to say, so I had Whittingham, so he's 11th, on the big list. I had him 24th. You because, the biggest yeah. Utah homer in the world? How? No, because here's the deal. This is the deal, guys. Listen, this was as we all know, the 2019 season. The most Utah team that's ever Utah'd in Utah in Utah history, history of Utah. <laughs> and the greatest of all the Utahs, the best Utah will ever be was what? Like uh division champ uh Gets blown out in the not blown out, but but, but oh, you know, and, being, and
0: even worse, losing to Texas, being part Texas. of the being part of the narrative that Texas is back.
2: So you get this, like you get this whole build up, and and so I had him twenty, I had him twenty second, then nineteenth, and then twenty fourth, and and so nineteenth, he was nineteenth last year, heading into this season, and as the nineteenth best coach in college football, he has his most Whittingham of all the Whittingham teams. And the most Whittingham, like we just saw it. We saw the we saw the best. We had the best there is to offer from Utah. And what was it? It was it was a it was a good year. It was a good year. Like don't get me wrong, it was a good year. But it was not a breakthrough year. And so with that, like what what are we supposed to do with them? We're supposed to keep him eleven. Like he was he. You know, this is a guy that took over a program that was playing at a high level, won a lot of games in the group of five. And just like all these guys have won a lot of games in the group of five. And then, you know, when he got to the Pac-12, he's very competitive. He has really good teams. But last year was the year he was supposed to be something different and show us that he was in this. Like if you could say he's a top 15 coach or borderline top. So we had him 11. So someone's got him up there at like five, (laughs) six. like, Like where do you guys have winning him?
1: I had him at 11. I was dead on. I was the only one here that's right. Boom.
2: I was in the, um, chip. nine. So like someone had him even higher than you guys. Someone had him like top six or something. It's like, uh, well, like, hold on. He's a top six coach in college football and his best team he's had just went. Wow. What was it? What was his record? Nine and four, 10 and three. Uh,
1: 11 and three, 11 and three. Pretty sorry. good season. Pretty good that's season. Pretty decent.
2: But it's, it's, but, but they didn't even <laughs> win a conference championship. <laughs> but he's won
1: three. He's won three division titles. In five, has he won a conference championship years. yet? Has he won, won three, conference He's won three division titles in a division with USC at Utah. He's been able to out compete against USC at Utah.
2: I don't like. I don't like. You say at Utah, like that's. I think that's. I think it is. I think you're capable of of competing at Utah. Like I think that they, you can get talent at Utah, and I have a lot of respect for what Kyle Whittingham has done at Utah. That's why he's a top 25 coach in college football. But if you're going to be a top 10 coach in college football, give me a, give me a, a conference championship.
1: I'm going to use your own argument against you here for a moment, though. Where do you have Paul Christ?
2: I have him too high. <laughs> But so, but where do thought, you have? Where do you have? But he's, but he's, but he he wins, he wins at a higher level more consistently than than Whittingham.
1: How many conference titles has Paul Chris won?
2: He's, but he's, but I'm, um, but look at their, look at their records. Like, look, who's, he's consistently who's the 10 Big Ten West. He's consistently winning ten games.
3: Paul and Chris,
1: Paul Chris uh, stepped into a ready-made program as the best team in his so own did, division. So did Kyle Whittingham. Al Whittingham had to move from the Mountain West to the Pac-12
2: South, where he has to compete with USC. The and he's winning seasons, division titles. The good season. The, when is he? He's won one division title. His best team of all time was a division title. He's won three. He's won three. He won in 2015, 2018, and 2019. I'm just saying, but like that's as, that's as good as you're going to get. That's as good as you're going to get. What's, what's Chris done, though? He hasn't. I agree. Him. I have Chris too high. I have Chris <laughs> too high, but I have, I have Whittingham in the right place. You are off the.
1: You know, Utah fans. Barton is no longer one of you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Listen on. This is this is this. This I podcast. Am I penalized all the you from the Utah the teams, fan base. All the teams that cross me this year, I picked. Uh, you know, I'm I'm yelled about Utah as a playoff contender. I'm yelled about Iowa State getting ten wins. When you cross me, you go down on my list, and that's what's happened in this coach rankings.
1: Hell hath no fury like a Barton scorned.
0: <laughs>
2: Uh, uh, Coming up on the other side We
0: reveal debate and break down The top 10 from the CBS Sports Coach Rankings Next
3: Okay, picture this It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend Doing the same old whatever Or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe And hit the road With available H-Track all wheel drive And three row seating My whole family can head deep into the wild podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
0: all right number 10 ryan day uh we mentioned him a little bit where do we want to get a little ballot check little annette what do we think did y'all 15. have him hire?
1: I had him at 15. He is the highest climber climbing 35 spots from 45 to 10.
2: I had them um, I had him uh, seven. So you just gave him Ohio State's ranking. Is that Ohio State's ranking? No, Ohio
0: State's ranking would probably be two or three. But
2: this that- is it again. This is a like this is where I have to reiterate like this to me is not a what is your resume? It's not a let's let's tally the you know all the criteria and see what the computer spits out. It's a if if I'm a if I'm a athletic director at Barton Simmons State, probably more of like a I'm probably like more of a tech. Barton Simmons <laughs> tech. and Maybe an A and M. Then who are you going to hire? And I think Ryan Day to me has proven A he can coach. B he can utilize talent in a, in a really effective way see he can recruit talent in a really effective way d he's hiring really good coaches he's making really bold hires in terms of moves on the staff like he's i've, I've i get it limited window but he's shown me everything i need to see to feel confident he's a he's a top tier coach
1: i think you know some context i should add to that we haven't really brought up it's important to remember too like some of the things that we're seeing in the rankings this year are a direct result of the fact that two coaches that were in our top 25 last year, Mark D'Antonio and Chris Peterson aren't coaching anywhere anymore. So they completely leave our rankings, which is going to push everybody else up for the most part, just at least two spots because of it when you think that way. So I think that's something we should remember too, when we're trying to figure out how some guys are taking large, large leaps forward. But I, I understand having Ryan day in the top 10 as I kind of, touched on earlier though. I, I had him at fifteenth because I mean for the love of God, he just had in a dominant team won the Big Ten, got to the playoff, nearly knocked off Clemson. So the first year, the first what he had to show us in his first season, very, very impressive. But I'm not ready to put him in the top 10 yet because I mean it's he inherited a pretty good situation from Urban Meyer there. So I'd like to see him maintain it. I think he can. It's just I'm I'm kind of holding the reins a little bit. It's just I also at the same time couldn't really justify ranking him lower than 15th based on what he did last year. Like, can you imagine putting him behind Harbaugh after what just happened?
0: Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, James Franklin at number nine feels right.
2: I had him at eight. I had him, uh, I had him at six.
0: I had him at 16. I was a little, I mean, I'm.
2: I. I you got James Franklin at sixteen.
0: Yeah. Man.
2: Oh, you. You. You're a little bit. I don't know. What, well, like why? So here's
0: because I've got and I'll. I can already point to him. It's Kyle Whittingham at nine. It's Bronco Mendenhall at ten. It's Mac Brown at eleven. Kirk Ferentz at twelve. Greg Schiano at thirteen. Like those. That is what's pushing. I think some of these other names that I didn't have up in the top ten down All for right. me.
2: But at Chip, if you're hiring a coach for Chip Patterson, you. You are you hiring, and and I'm not like you. Maybe you did this. I can't remember what your like mentality is in going through this. But it's a balance. You go through this exercise.
0: It's a mixture. It's a little bit of arts right. and sciences.
2: So just and if we just stick to just that one criteria, would you hire those guys you just rattled off over James Franklin at the University of the at the University of Chip Patterson.
0: Right now, I would hire Bronco Mendenhall over James Franklin. I think that going only – like eliminating the idea of resume throws out um, Kirk. Fer- the reason why Kirk Ferentz, Mac Brown, and Kyle Whittingham are there. I think that Bronco Mendenhall could basically bring in the notebook for his what he had planned for Virginia, pitch me on that, and I would jump on it. And uh, James Franklin, I'm sure, would make an incredible pitch based on what he's been able to do at vanderbilt and penn state i think they're in they're in the similar conversation that we're talking about talking about really good college football coaches
1: and now i <clears throat> my beloved who's bronco mendenhall my beloved who's became my beloved who's simply by hiring bronco mendenhall that's that's what did it still don't think i could hire him before i hired james franklin though because James Franklin, we've talked about, he's he's a quarterback away from being a national title winner. We think he's got that kind of team, and I mean, we were piping Franklin up as possibility at USC. I don't think any of us are sitting here going to say that USC should hire Bronco Mendenhall.
0: That'd be a good culture fit. I do think it'd be a good upgrade. <laughs> um, Dan Mullen. At, let's uh, let's let's get to five. Dan Mullen at eight. Jimbo Fisher at seven. Kirby Smart. From our beloved Bulldogs at six, and Brian Kelly at five.
2: Jimbo Fisher's a tough one for me. Yeah, like I, I, I had him at nine, but just in arguing like with myself and and just debating this, like you could make a similar case to Jimbo Fisher that you that you you can make parallel Jimbo Fisher Mac Brown cases mm-hmm. in the sense that Jimbo Fisher, yes, sir, he won a national title. And, yeah, he's got A&M competitive quickly, but he presided over Florida State's dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. And so which coach are you getting? And I, I think – so I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I let the national title win out there and the fact that he's recruiting well at A&M and just the, the fact that I think they're going to be really good this year probably – affected my my judgment there a little bit but i I think you can make a case for a lot of places for jimbo fisher but but none higher than where the consensus is like who's if you got him like top five i I would disagree with that
1: yeah i I feel i mean you you have to give credit for the national title you have to give him blame for a lot of the position that florida state currently finds itself in and i just look at jimbo right now you know i i have a and m as like a potential dark horse this year but i do feel like if a and m has another kind of eight and five kind of season that he's probably gonna be out of the top ten next year for sure.
0: Got him at four.
1: <laughs> you respect the rings. I get it.
2: Yeah. Oh uh, so you're like you are basically the like you are the exact counterpart to all of my arguments. So this has <laughs> been this has been healthy to just sort of <laughs> have have differing views. What's so what's the case for top five?
0: Um like incredible recruiting prowess uh he deserves criticism for the way that things trailed off at Florida State and I think that he would even say that you know that he's probably got um, you know he wishes some things could have turned out a little bit differently you know it was widely reported you know his commitment to his staff and and you know maybe that's part of him growing as a head coach is figuring out how to uh how to make some tough decisions and make some changes behind the scenes if that's what needs to happen in order for the program to move forward. But Florida state had even backslid a little bit in the back half of the two thousands. And I remember him coming in and winning the ACC was kind of a deal again. Um, You know, challenging Virginia tech, which during Florida state's absence from the top of conference dominance Had sort of taken over ever since joining the league in 2004, and Florida State kind of took that back. I mean the the Jameis Winston 2013 Heisman Trophy winning season. That team was put up statistically against like Oklahoma teams in terms of total points scored and how you know total margin of victory. It statistically. I think I give the nod to 2019 LSU, but in terms of you look around recently at some of the best teams of all time, that team absolutely deserves it. Just filled with pros. That was sort of the culmination of him working to get Florida State built up that way. And I, I think about stuff that I've I've learned from you, Barton, where it's like he's an incredible closer. Like he he understands uh the recruiting scene. I I, I think Jimbo Fisher is uh among the best in college football. He has a really really bad little dip, but if he does have Texas A&M going in the right direction, then I I don't think defending Jimbo Fisher as a top 5 coach will be that crazy if Texas A&M goes 10 and 2.
1: Now, where where will you have Jimbo next year if they go 8 and 5 again though?
0: I will probably be sliding him below like Brian Kelly, Dan Mullen, Lincoln Riley.
1: Okay.
0: Right now, the only thing he has over Brian Kelly, Dan Mullen, and Lincoln Riley, in my mind, is a ring. Yeah. All right. Brian Kelly at number five. that feel about right? Kirby Smart at six.
2: Brian Kelly at at five felt high to me. I was a little surprised at that. I had him ten.
0: I had him at five. I had him at five. Interesting.
2: Someone's got him even higher.
1: I mean, it's funny. I – I did HQ yesterday. I was talking about Notre Dame and HQ, and I was just looking some things up. And, like, you know, the the NCAA, you know, vacated some wins from the 2012 and 2013 season. But if you live in a world where those games actually did play, and Notre Dame did actually win a lot of games those two years, you might be surprised to learn that the only coaches in Notre Dame history to have won more games than Brian Kelly are Newt Rockney, Lou Holtz, and Eric Parsegian. He's won at least ten games in each of the last three seasons. The last time any Notre Dame teams were able to do that was ninety-one to ninety-three under Lou Holtz. I think that it's we've reached the point with Brian Kelly where when he first got to Notre Dame and you you looked at the state of the program at that time, when he had success there early, like getting to the BCS championship game in 2012, it was like, wow, you know, this is this is amazing. And then there's been a couple setback years, but for the most part notre dame is now back to that place where notre dame is was always thought it was for years when everybody was you know calling it overrated i think the best thing you could say about people or what the job that brian kelly has done at notre dame is that you can't really claim that the irish are being overrated by the media every year like you used to when they were because now they're not being overrated they're properly rated they're a top 10 team in the country And they've stepped up recruiting because of Brian Kelly in the last few years. And they're in a position now where they got to the BCS title game in 2012. They got to the playoff a couple years ago. And they're in a position where they are a team that maybe they're not one of the favorites. But at the start of every season right now, when you're looking at teams that you have to say this is a potential playoff team, Notre Dame is in that conversation. And I think that Brian Kelly deserves nearly all of the credit for that happening. I mean, he's been there for a decade and he's built that program back into a powerhouse.
2: Yeah, Brian Kelly is going to finish his career as Notre Dame's all-time wins leader.
1: So yeah, which is incredible because again, the thing of the names I just said.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. But here's the the my my argument's real simple. To me, look, and I Brian Kelly is is a really good coach. He's a top 10 coach on my list in college football. And you know, if he's a, if he's a tick or two higher than that And I'm you know no no bones with that but like to me if you're a top five coach in college football at Notre Dame you should be able to win a national championship I think I think if you put a top five coach in college football at Notre Dame you will win he will win a national championship I I don't think Notre Dame is like he's not he's not getting 10 wins a year at, at Duke I mean it's still Notre Dame like I know that there are some challenges with with academics getting the right guys in and recruiting the right kind of players, but it's, it's still Notre Dame. And I think at Notre Dame and, and so he might still win a national title. I mean, he's getting closer and, and they're, they've gotten to the point where they're knocking on the door in the playoffs consistently. At least they have the last you know couple of years, but are they to the point where like you, like I think we, you you guys would be surprised if Notre Dame won a national championship next year. Um, and so I need, I need, I need a national championship or I need a, or I need a really close second place. Otherwise I I can find five coaches that can give me that. I think at Notre Dame,
1: I I think the Duke thing is unfair though, because if we look at the coaches that are in our top 10 overall, and I think that unless anybody who's listened knows the four coaches we haven't named yet, but the schools of the top 10 coaches are Ohio state, Penn state, Florida, Texas, A and M Georgia. Notre Dame, <laughs> and then in no particular order, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, and LSU. How many of those 10 coaches are going to Duke and winning 10 games a year?
2: I don't understand your point. I'm just saying that. You, I, you
1: use the fact that Brian Kelly wouldn't win 10 games a year at Duke against. No, him no, 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 no.
2: no, no that's not, that wasn't my point. My point was saying that he's winning 10, 10 games a year, but you should win 10 games a year at Notre Dame. I'm saying, like, no, Notre Dame is. That's that should be the minimum at a place like that. It's not you're not overachieving by doing that. You would be overachieving if you were doing that at Duke. And so but
1: you're I, meeting expectations at Notre Dame yes. and the expectations are exceedingly higher than they are anywhere else and you sure. deserve a certain amount of credit for that.
2: And I've given them a, a credit as a top 10 coach. But is but as, as a top 5 coach, I think that's an elite tier reserved for for coaches that are going to be con- competing for national championships. And Brian Kelly, like it, as soon as he does that for me, bam! All right, done. He's in my top five.
1: But okay, right but now, how many,
2: how many he's coaches not. have
1: coached a college football playoff game? That's competing for playoff. That's competing for a national title. How many coaches well, well, say well, look, they so, played in it?
2: So let me just—I'll just put—I'll just, put, just make it a, a subjective claim. All right. So the coaches above Brian Kelly on my list are Jimbo Fisher, and before we get to that, the top four. So just the guys in that's in the ten to five range. Jimbo Fisher. Dan Mullen, Ryan Day, James Franklin. I'm just saying those – I think those four coaches, if they were coaches at Notre Dame, this is a subjective. So, like, again, I'm not sitting the computer rattling something off. It's just my opinion. I think if those four coaches were at Notre Dame, they would be closer to a national championship if not already won one based either on coaching or on recruiting. And that's meant not as a knock to Brian Kelly who I think is a top 10 coach in college football – but it is meant as a as a, a means of like
0: an endorsement, splitting the hairs. Yeah,
2: and I, an, yeah, and 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 an endorsement of those guys. Like, I, I just I think that there is there is a there is a pace that that Brian Kelly is is not quite hit yet, I, and I, I think, I think he's Brian, getting closer to it, but I don't think he's there yet.
0: I think Brian Kelly is defining what it means to be successful at Notre Dame in the modern era, because depending on when you want to consider the modern era, and I, I tend to link it probably closer to, I don't know, the BCS, you know, I I probably link it closer to the television contracts exploding, the money exploding in terms of the amounts of distribution that the conferences have to give to the schools, which are then spent on facilities and, and ways to allow winning to be get more winning. I mean, Notre Dame last won a national championship in 1988. You, you could argue that's before the modern era of college football and making uh, an appearance in a BCS national championship game, being one of the few coaches to have coached in a college football playoff game. I, I, I don't think that there's – like there might be more success for Brian Kelly to come to meet your expectations, but I think that he is defining the expectations for what, is, what it means to be successful at Notre Dame in the modern era chip is
2: yeah. right well, so so are you so so I uh, then in saying that are you also saying it's unreal it's unrealistic to think Notre Dame is can win a national championship or will win a national championship it is I don't in, think in the modern era
0: I don't think it's unrealistic to say will I think that Brian Kelly twice already in his tenure has had them knocking on the door and knocking on the door
2: Yeah, but you and I, but we, but all of us know, like, yes, technically they've been in that game. But like, like I said, I'd like to see a close call. Like we, we all in this, like, we all understand that those were not, like, there was all kinds of discussion emerged from those appearances on how, yeah, they, they might be technically in the championship game. They might be technically in the playoffs, but those were two different teams on the field and two different tiers of, of talent. Yeah,
1: but here's the thing. Like they got their They got destroyed in 2012 by Alabama, an Alabama team that was destroying everybody. In 2018, they reached the playoff, and they got beat. What was the final score in that game? It was they lost by 27 to Clemson, the same Clemson team that then went on to beat Alabama by 28. So I don't think holding a 27-point loss to Clemson against the same team that beat Alabama by 28 is something that's worth holding over their head because Clemson beat them just them. as badly as Alabama did.
2: I'm not holding it against them, but I'm not propping it up as evidence that he he broke through the ceiling. I'm just saying it's it is it's still what it is. It's just, you know, there's a, there a lot of other teams that that's, you know, do you think that that was the third best team in college football that year? I don't, I mean.
1: Yeah.
0: No, Notre, they, Notre Dame is the try-hard team that wins the NCAA tournament. And more often than not, the tryhard team isn't what wins in college football. It's the one with the bigger, the stronger, the faster, the more NFL-ready players, the more five stars and four stars. But the, if there's a year where you're going to have like a mid-major story, I mean, it's weird to say about Notre Dame in the sport of college football, something yeah. that's so iconic. But yeah, like if if you're only going to look at national championship competitiveness by the raw talent on the field, then Notre Dame, yes. Listen to this. Notre Dame winning would be a Cinderella story.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and so and that and so and so my whole point is saying that like I don't th- I I understand that this isn't the 80s or whatever, and that Notre Dame's the only team in college football is on national TV every weekend, but I but I contend that that this is not that Notre Dame does not need to be held to a different standard than the other you know, guys at the very top of this list. I still think Notre Dame is capable of winning a national championship. And I think Brian Kelly may very well be the coach that that can get them there. I think he's I'm, – I'm not saying, like, that, that, that he's not capable of that. But what I do think is that he needs to show that before, to me, he's a top-five coach because I think top-five coaches in college football are national championship contenders. And just getting in a game that's meaningful isn't enough for me.
1: I also think you can make the argument that it's harder to win a national title at Notre Dame simply because they're not in a conference, and therefore they have to be perfect to have a realistic shot of being one of those four teams selected, whereas Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, they can all afford a loss as long as it's not a horrific loss and then make up for it with an extra conference championship game, whereas Notre Dame doesn't have that now again the flip side of that coin is if notre dame goes 12 and 0 they don't have to worry about losing a conference title game but if you look at notre dame schedules they really would need the conference title game to be that extra resume point
0: but another another conversation for another podcast but whether notre dame's schedule is easy or hard is my favorite preseason game
1: (laughs) it's uh, here's a spoiler alert it's very rarely easy (laughs)
0: I just don't think Notre Dame has the strength of schedule or you look at Notre Dame schedule. You got to cancel them out. Like it's just, it can be used, uh, like in anything that you need to, uh, work on your argument about how you think the Irish are going to perform in terms of the playoff race. Uh, all the,
2: right. What the Go competing ahead. voices of, of Barton's mind I had that like debate with myself. I, and, and I had a, in my other podcast, we did a, uh, snake draft for college football playoff teams and, I ruled Notre Dame out by looking at their schedule, glancing at it and seeing Clemson and Wisconsin and oh, yeah. USC. And then in, uh, in retrospect, I circled back and I was like, well, wait a minute. Every other game on there looks totally manageable. And this is just basically a Big Ten East schedule.
0: Well, last year was a, a great example of that because Notre Dame played two games that were going to define its season. And it lost them both. One close to Georgia and one big Two, again, you know, in a monsoon. You know how those things go with Brian Kelly. Uh, See, that's
1: the argument you should have made, Barton, is that <laughs> yeah. you can't put Brian Kelly that high when he can't win in a monsoon. You need to prove your skills in top a drive five coaches storm. coach
2: in all weather. <laughs> there you go. Now I agree with you. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. Well, let's four. Ed Ogeron. Three, Lincoln Riley. Two, Dabo Sweeney. One, Nick Saban. How do you want to attack the top four?
1: Orgeron jumped 26 spots. He was number 30 last year. And for some reason, he climbed in the minds of many this year. I I can't put my finger on what happened to have caused that.
2: Yeah, I I had Ogeron, He was 44th on my list last year. And he's third this year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that might be a ridiculous jump. But if any other coach does that (laughs) on my list wants to put together the best college football team in the history of college football, then, Hey, maybe you, maybe you can make that jump too. And just anecdotally my 44th best coaching college football this year, Lane Kiffin. So look out rebels.
1: (laughs) I mean here, I feel like there's, there's not a whole lot of debate between these four. I mean, Saban and Swinney stay at one and two Lincoln Riley is bumped up a spot because of Chris Peterson and then Orgeron being in the top four. Well, duh. So here's a question I'll pose to you guys. How much longer and what would have to happen in your mind for Sweeney to jump
2: Saban? I think one more national championship before Saban's, I would probably make the move.
0: Yeah, because that would mean that Sweeney had won uh, all three of his in a time period where Saban only has one and -hmm. it would mean that Sweeney has two since Saban's last.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you guys. If if Clemson wins the national title in 2020, Sweeney's jumping to one on my board.
0: I know that it was, I know because this is the consensus ranking. I know that no one person maybe is representing this uh, opinion, but we are, or does Lincoln Riley within the context of the very top coaches in college football, does his Owen three record in the college football playoff need to be considered, especially like these two coaches met at the peach bowl. Again, one was leading the potentially the greatest college football team in the history of college football. The other one, an Oklahoma team that was kind of piecing it together a little bit banged up, uh, you know, trying to trying to get to the end with Jalen Hurts leading the way. But I I still I still think that Lincoln Riley ahead of Coach O, I don't know, I would take issue with that.
1: I think you could definitely do it, but I think part of the problem of using the fact that Riley's Owen three in the playoff against him is that he's been a coach for three years and he's reached the college football playoff. All three years, so it's like, yeah, he's lost three playoff games, but unlike nearly every other coach, except for Saban and Sweeney, he's also coached three playoff games, and that's got to be something you consider.
2: Yeah, but he's coached them coming out of the Big Twelve, and I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, it's, but so like he's not. Here's my my beef with it. I think so. Where where was Kirby Smart on the big list?
1: He finished in sixth.
2: OK, so I to me, I think that Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley are the same the same guy. And so you really can't have them more than like one spot apart. Um, you know, the it's it's kind of remarkable. Like when you look at. Like when you look it's basically the only difference in them is just what conference they play in. Um, obviously, Lincoln Riley's an offensive coach with some questionable defenses. Kirby Smart as a defensive coach with some questionable offenses. I have Kirby Smart one spot above Lincoln Riley because he has to come out of the SEC every year and Lincoln Riley gets a little bit of an, a cleaner path, but uh, it's it's kind of remarkable too. Uh, Kevin Flaherty, a guy in our network 24-7 Sports, brought this to my attention when I posted my rankings too. Like It's, it's uncanny the similarities in the two like, just look at this year, uh, two losses for both teams. You know, one upset loss for Georgia to South Carolina, one upset loss by uh, Oklahoma to K-State. The other two lots, the other loss for both teams, LSU. Two years ago, uh, both lost to Alabama, both lost to Texas. Kirby Smart added a loss to, to LSU in there. Um, the, the year before that, they played each other. Uh, and that was, that was the year that Georgia beat Oklahoma in the Rose bowl. Um, so it's like, I, I think Georgia, hey, Georgia won the head to head closest. I mean, it's obviously like incredibly close game, unbelievable game, but like, I still think probably Lincoln Riley gets a little more credit cause offensive football is easier on the eye than defensive football, but they're kind of the same guy. And so I don't know why, Link, why, why they would be any more than like two spots apart.
0: I think that the context to uh the 0 and three record also is that uh Oklahoma was right there against Georgia that game was uh you 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 link those two together they also both have like you know the the things could have broken very differently because i do you hold on to the idea that that baker led Oklahoma team could have beaten Alabama in the championship game,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, if it was able to nearly beat Georgia, I know. it means it could have beaten Alabama.
0: What could have been? All right. I'll take that. Uh, any any other notes from the top of the rankings?
2: Uh, did, did you Who did you guys have at three? I had Lincoln Riley. I had Coach O. Yeah. Who did you have at four, Tom? Coach oh. O. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, that was a tough spot. That took me a while to figure out. Like, uh, well, am I really going to go coach O at number three? But
0: <laughs> well, I just like—I mean, just—I mean, we're we're sitting here like sixty-seven minutes in. I I, I embraced the overreaction, right? Like, I I, I maybe needed. I don't think a little... it's an
1: overreaction, though.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I embraced the hype. How about that? I knew what I was doing. I knew I was I was racing to have an overcorrection, overcorre- and uh, and. Hey, he joined the uh, the rings culture that I have that dominates my rankings at the top.
1: And, and, and I mean, it's it's an overreaction if we look back three years from now, and LSU's back in like that eight and four, nine and three range every season. But I don't think I think we've talked. I think there's a set. You know, there's going to be a small step back this year for LSU simply because of all they have to replace. But I, I don't think that last year was a fluke. In that LSU is not going to be a real title contender year in and year out now.
2: Mm. Where does O where does Ogeron drop if if he's eight and four?
1: Probably gonna drop more in that six seven range.
0: Yeah. He stays top ten for me. The,
2: th- it- the thing about O is that he's and the thing I've I've come to appreciate about him is A, I mean, we know he can recruit. Um we've he's he's adjusted his coaching style and, and toned things down a little bit, but he's done such a good like you have to give head coaches credit for hiring really good coaches. Mm-hmm. Just like I, just like I, ding, Will Muschamp for hiring bad offensive coordinators while acknowledging that he's a good coach himself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, give credit to Ogeron for making these tra- changes on offense, continuing to get Dave Aranda to stick around on defense, going to get Bo Pelini on defense. Like, th- not only hiring him, but like empower. Like people love working for him. People love playing for him. There's a lot of Coach O beyond just the the accents and and sort of the the meathead persona. I think he's. I think he really. It's, it's a, it was a dramatic uptick for that program, but I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for it.
1: Yeah, and another thing he does is that he's able to assess what works and what doesn't, and instead of if something's not working, we see you've seen a lot of coaches, and not just coaches, but anybody in any profession, when something's <laughs> not working, they continue to try the same thing, trying to pound that square peg into the round hole, whereas Ed was smart enough to say, okay, this isn't working. I need to try something new. He's not afraid to change what clearly says to him, you know, is something we need to change. And I think that a lot of coaches and a lot of everybody out there, if they could willingly not only recognize the flaws in what they do, but be willing to take the steps to fix and change them, would be a lot better off than they are right now.
0: Wow. Deep, deep thoughts from Tom Finale. A little meditation for y'all to take it out. Om. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. You can check out the full coach rankings on CBSSports.com. They are authored by Tom Fernelli. They are voted on by all of us, but that means that all of your anger is probably going to end up in his Twitter feed, but be nice to him. You know, it's a, it's a rainy day in Chicago. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. sir